When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is the era of big cap tech over? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Joining me today is Eric Jackson, president and founder of EMJ Capital. Hi, Eric. Welcome to Real Vision. Hey, Maggie. Thanks so for this is me. your first time on the Daily Briefing, if I'm not mistaken. So why don't you give us, before we jump in, why don't you give us a little overview of EMG? So what's your area of focus? So it's tech-focused. Um, it's, a, it's a long, short fund. Um, but I tend to focus on multi-year compounders. So I'm trying to find companies that over a three-year basis can two or three X, um, if, you know, if not more. Uh, and so uh, the portfolio tends to be more concentrated, uh, tends to have less turnover, a lot of, you know, so, since I'm expecting to hold these companies for uh, longer periods of time. So uh, it tends to skew, therefore, kind of more small to medium cap, uh, rather than big cap tech, um, not that I don't like, you know, the app, you know, Apple probably is my fa favorite big cap tech name. Uh, I think it's a great run company and it's had a great year, all things considered. But it's obviously very difficult when you're one of these big cap tech stocks to to double or triple from, you know, it's already existing multi-trillion dollar market cap company. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to look for the, the next ones coming yeah. up. Coming up. Generation. We all are. So this is going to be a good <laughs> conversation, especially now. Um, so by the way, if you have a question for Eric, as we're having a chat and going along, you know what to do. Put in the comment section on the website, the chat box on YouTube, or you can tweet us at Real Vision. Um, so Eric, we're in this interesting period. It was another tough day for U.S. stocks. We're just closing the U.S. session uh, and NASDAQ getting hit the hardest, but there were losses across the board. NASDAQ down 2%, Dow down 1%. S&P off one and a half, Russell down too, one and a half. Um, and it seems like, uh, we talked about this yesterday, it seems like everyone's getting kind of more bearish again. We had energy, technology, communication services leading the way lower today. What's your outlook? Where do you feel like we are with US equities? Yeah, I think just in the last few days, I think financials, uh, people have been uh, particularly bearish about. Um, and so I think that's sort of, you know, hung over the market the last couple of days, especially. So. Uh, I, I would, uh, you know, and and if you look at the twos, tens, you know, uh, inversion today, I think it, it's set a new all-time low for this current cycle, and it's it's also the lowest that it's been since I believe October of 1981. So we're we're going kind of way back to uh, you know pre-financial crisis to kind of the last time there was this huge inflation scare, and so uh, I. Uh, I tend to be a little bit more more optimistic, though, uh, mm. given how far inverted the yield curve is and how much damage has been done in 2022, uh, especially in the world of tech, uh, especially in the world of kind of smaller cap or growthier tech names. Some of these some of these names are down 70, 80, 90 percent. So um, my view is that uh, a lot of damage has been done this year. 
So looking forward into 2023, uh, we see just the beginnings now of, of inflation starting to roll over. And um, even though there are concerns that um, 2023 could be a deeper recession than expected, I think that there, you know, from a stock ownership perspective, I really um, think that if we continue to see inflation kind of fall off a cliff, uh, that will be bullish for stocks in general. And I think tech stocks and growth, growthy tech stocks in particular, I think the growth tech stocks were the first ones to really um, show major weakness a year ago uh, that kind of signaled that we were going into this corrective phase. And I think those those same type, types of names are going to be the first ones to kind of herald uh, a turnaround in stocks, which will come before the, the general economic recession starts to turn. That's that's interesting. So I, I'm, I want to drill down on that a little bit more. So you do you think that the market is too pessimistic about the recession that's coming, or is it more just a case that so much of that bad news is already priced in? Not that we're not going to see a sharp recession, the yield curve's wrong, but it's just that these tech stocks, especially the growth ones, are just so beaten down that that's it's already in the price. Or both. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I, it could be a combination. Yeah, I mean, there's there are a lot of bad things <laughs> out there. And I, you know, you, you tend to hear a lot of people. Um, especially in macro strategists talking about 2023 about how corporate profits kind of need to go down and they haven't been reflected yet and 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 so forth. Um, but yes, there has been so much damage done. Um, the you know the invert the yield curve already is signaling us that there is going to be you know this sort of deep uh, recession coming up. That um, and when you and and so I referenced this kind of 1980, 81, 82 time period. Like that was the last time we saw an inversion this this uh, this deep. Um, if you look back at that period as sort of a, a guidepost to what might happen today for us, uh, what's interesting about that period is that was really that was obviously the last time that there was infl elevated inflation like there has been over this past year. Mm -hmm. In the in the early 80s. It was even steeper. You know, we, it sort of peaked out in 1980 at around 15% CPI uh, inflation. And so at that period, the deepest part of the yield inversion happened in kind of the, you know, the, the spring of 1980 when uh, CPI was, was at 15 and it started to come down. But it came down from 15% to about, you know, 10, 11% by the end of 1980. And, and then it hung around for 1981. Inflation really didn't budge from that kind of 10% level. So you ended up having a rally uh, when people thought inflation was, was starting to come down. Uh, but then the rally stalled and we kind of had this double dip back then when this, there was this persistent inflation. It finally, um, inflation finally rolled over in 1982 uh, in sort of like the, the summer of 1982. And so uh, it started to drop quickly. Uh, and by August of 1982, it was passing like six, seven percent on its way to ending 1982, uh, you know, going out of the, at that year around three percent. So uh, and, and so the big rally that that followed in equities was started in August of 1982 uh, when market participants really felt like the Fed had finally licked inflation and this thing wasn't just going to stall out again. 
but it was sort of like well on its way to kind of back to two, two, three percent normalcy. And so I think that, um, you know, we're not as hot, we're not starting as high. Um, obviously, we, we never got up to 15 percent, thank goodness. Uh, and even though some people will say, you know, this thing is going to be persistent, inflation is going to hang around and so forth. I think uh, we're seeing a lot of the forward indicators show that, you know, things are really slowing quickly because of fears of, of a recession. And so I think it's more likely that we're kind of, you know, uh, as we move through 2023, we're going to see evidence, you know, month by month that CPI is continuing to, to march down. Uh, maybe we'll end 2023, you know, back at that 3% level. But I think once people start to get a sense that, that this thing is decidedly, inflation is decidedly moving lower, I think that will be the signal that stocks can rally. And back, so then going back to 1982, you know, when there was this kind of market bottom that occurred in August 82 and people felt like, okay, CPI is finally going down for the count here. Uh, the NASDAQ rallied over 100% over the next 10 months. And I think, you know, given the kind of contraction that we've had in, you know, late 21 to and through 22, um, we could see something, you know, similar to that. Uh, S&P rallied, you know, not as much as the NASDAQ in, in that period of time, but, you know, it, it had a strong rally as well. So I, I think we could be setting up for that kind of scenario in, in 2023. Is it going to, you know, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily going to happen with the December CPI report or yeah. maybe not even the January one, but I think we're, we're on the road to kind of seeing kind of a steady move down uh, in these numbers. And I think, I think that's going to be the unlock for for stocks to rally and, and for people to get more constructive, even if, you know, unemployment is rising, there's concern about uh, how deep, you know, the recession is and so forth. Uh, I think people will say, hey, stocks got, you know, we're, we're beaten down for so long. Now inflation is licked. Uh, it's time to get, you know, dip the toes back in the water of owning some of these equities. Yeah, that timing issue is always so tricky, isn't it? I want to ask a question, Fred, uh, on YouTube is asking something that's related to the question we posed at the top of the show. Um, he says, with the lack of innovation, I think that may, might be a debatable point, but with the lack of innovation and regulatory problems we're seeing with big tech, should the big guys get lower PE ratios? Um, I don't know if the correction that big cap tech has experienced in 2022 has been, I, I wouldn't say it's been because of a lack of innovation or regulatory overhang. I think, I think it was just sort of their time, <laughs> their time to go into the box uh, to be penalized. I think, I think there was sort of like some late, some of the late cycle action that happened in 2021 is that um, big cap tech had a, had a great 2021. And so, but under the surface, um, a lot of growth names, including like the Kathy Woods, Arc, mm -hmm. uh, sort of peaked out in February of 2021. So there's, you know, there are a lot of uh, smaller tech names that really have been in a bear market now for almost coming up on two years uh, in a couple of months. And so um, people exit, rotated out of those growthy Arc names in, in 2021 and piled into big cap tech. Mm -hmm. uh, and that lasted a while until it didn't. And I think, you know, what, you know, who knows what the catalyst was moving into 2022, but, you know, obviously like many of those names, maybe save, save Apple have, have been having a lousy year this year, uh, just because they, you know, ad troubles, keeping up with, um, 
you know, keeping up to the levels that they had been been used to their their growth levels, uh, and then people just saying, okay, you know, uh, maybe this isn't the safe haven that I thought it was. So um, uh, going forward, then into into twenty twenty three, my views on big cap tech are that uh, I like Apple the most. Um, I still think it's kind of well positioned to kind of bounce back, um, uh, even with these kind of fears about are they going to be make, able to make enough phones in, in China. And, you know, we've already seen Chinese tech stocks have a huge rally um, just in the last 30 days or so. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, if that continues, you know, eventually, you know, Apple, um, you know, will, will, will benefit from that as well. So um, I like them the most. Um, the other names, I think, you know, in general, um, they look interesting after the pullback in, in 2022. Um, I probably like, you know, Microsoft, and Amazon more than I would, you know, like Facebook or Meta. Uh, I think that there's, even though Meta's gotten really cheap just in the last, you know, couple of months because of their their last earnings report, uh, I think you're still going to have questions around uh, how much are they going to continue to spend on on uh, the metaverse and all this kind of stuff hanging over the stock. So, um, yeah. I and, and Google, you know, it's interesting. I noticed today, you know, they're down a little bit, you know, maybe two percent from their recent highs, but um, given how much attention has gone to this, uh, um, you know, AI uh, chat engine uh, just in the last few days, you would <laughs> you you would think like they would they would be affected more because it's a kind of a direct competitive threat to, to their business if it, if this thing really does take off. But uh, so far, um, it's it hasn't affected them. But yeah, it uh, is interesting. I, mean, I, I, I guess it speaks to their just incredible dominance. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. I, I, you have some, so clearly you're looking at the sort of smaller to medium for the, for the, the companies that you see the greatest potential to really, mm -hmm. really move. Before we get to that though, because you mentioned Apple, I just want to ask you about this because we did have headlines, just reports out in the last hour or so um, say uh, that Tim Cook says Apple will use chips built in the U.S. at an Arizona factory. This issue of supply chain um, concerns looks like it's going to remain, you know, no matter what happens um, in right. terms of China, just everyone kind of rethinking the resiliency of their supply chain. My colleague Andrea spoke with Whitney Baker, the founder of Totem Macro, who said that she thinks this issue is not only going to stick around, but going to create sort of longer-term shifts in spending. Let's have a listen to a clip from that. But the thing about tech is... Um you know, I think the bigger point is not so much that like globalization and thinking about supply chains and security of supply, it's going to affect all sorts of industries, not just tech in particular, because we've come out of 15 years of no investment across pretty much any industry, right? And even like looking at semis, it was the same. It was like, okay, from 2015 onwards, revenue surged for advanced semis. The whole total annual size of that industry continued to go higher. And yet there was no incremental change in CapEx from 2015 through to 2022. And so then you ultimately, sorry, I should say 2021, because then there was a big CapEx response. But you're growing into um, what was like a very limited 
availability of supply. And that same thing is true with respect to tech as it is with respect to energy and basic materials and you know industrial or manufacturing capacity housing. There was literally no investment in anything physical uh, for most of the last cycle. And so you're just hitting these supply issues at the exact point in time when people need to figure out, okay, well, we need to actually expand capacity. Where is the right place to do that? So these two things are intersecting at the same time, which means that the potential for that shift of CapEx to new sort of destinations and recipients is probably bigger than at a point when, let's say, everything was already oversupplied. If everything was already oversupplied, you're sort of going to like get the longest useful life out of those things as you can and maybe walk a little bit of a balance between using that stuff, using the capacity you've already spent money on, but also trying to have some sort of tail risk or hedge capacity somewhere else. And now it just seems like, look, everybody hasn't invested for a long time. They got to do it anyway. They're going to try to do it somewhere friendly or somewhere where you at least are taking into account as a factor how secure that place is. And that full interview is available on our website. Uh, Eric, d d is this a, an issue you worry about? Are we looking at increased CapEx costs across the tech sector being an issue for profitability? It, I mean, it's it's a general secular trend that people, uh, not just in tech, but I think uh, across industries are going to be diversifying their supply chains away from, from China to multiple locations so they don't kind of uh, get caught holding the bag, you know, with some geopolitical event. Um, so as a result, I, I, you know, it's hard, it's hard for me as an individual stock picker to kind of see, you know, should I pick this company stock uh, because they have less exposure to, to China than, than others. I mean, it's, I, I think oftentimes it comes down to like a relative comparison. To, like if you have a bullish view on a semiconductor stock, you want to look at, you know, that stock in relation to the other semis, you know, in that sector or SaaS stock or what, what have you. Uh, so I, I just think it's it's a general trend that's going to continue, um, but I don't think it's really going to be the basis of, you know, for me anyway, making stock decisions. And the same thing with uh, kind of the U.S. Whenever I hear an announcement about, a, you know, we're going to invest, even if it's Apple is going to invest in Arizona, wherever they're going to build the chips. I mean, that's just a multi-year process yeah. uh, that's going to have to play out. And so... Um, not something to kind of base a decision about owning a stock for the next quarter or two. Yeah, that's fair enough. So Ralph, Ralph is saying, forget big tech. What's the next tech? What, what are some of the companies that you're both bullish and bearish on? So let's let's go through a, a few of them because you did send a, a list. And um, just for disclosure, I'm assuming that you hold currently hold positions in all of them. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, the ones I sent okay. you. Yes. Great. So first one is. F-R-E-Y. So talk to me about that, a battery maker. So this is an EV play? Yeah, it's, it's actually a SPAC that's uh, up on the year. And it's, it's had a good- <laughs> there, There's a too. SPAC that's up on the year? That, that, in, that in yeah. itself is news. <laughs> Even trading above $10, if you can believe that. So, uh, and it's a, you know, a pre-revenue, um, you know, EV battery. And, and, and it's, it's a battery company. It's going to play in the EV space, so it's going to supply their batteries to uh, autos, but also probably more importantly to energy uh, storage solutions, um, which is kind of an interesting uh, little niche market for for batteries. Um, but I think the the big story here with them is that they actually, you know, <laughs> especially for a SPAC, have a solid uh, management team. Uh, they hail from Norway. 
they are building two um, gigafactories right now for their, their batteries. One will be in Norway and one will be here in the US, in Georgia, actually. They just announced a few uh, weeks ago. They have a JV over here with Coke Industries uh, to build that. And so what's, what's interesting is that everybody agrees, you know, EVs are the future, we, we need, you know, batteries. And yet most of the biggest battery suppliers are in China. Uh, there are a few in Japan, uh, but you know, just speaking to the you know the, the conversation we were just having about um, you know onshoring, if if uh, you can buy from a you know an American friendly supplier or a European one um, over a Chinese supplier, assuming quality is sufficient and all that kind of stuff, um, you would probably choose to do that. And yet there just aren't that many around, uh, even though this is a big growth area. And so. This fryer is, is set up to kind of to be that supplier. Uh, they uh, have the right, um, you know, the, the, the right uh, geographic location. They have the right partnerships in terms of, of, of supplying the materials that they need. Uh, they have the right template, which uh, they've licensed from a company called 24M Technologies out of MIT. But the big thing that they need is capital. Um, and so there's a certain amount of risk attached to them. Uh, that are they going to be able to raise the capital that they need? Um, they just did a stock offering just just uh, within the last week. I think they raised something like two hundred sixty-five million dollars um, from that from from shareholders. So the stock has taken a bit of a dip in the in the last week or so. And there's rumors that they are going to do a deal uh, to raise some uh, further money from um, uh, you know, one of the big private equity shops, something to the order of like five hundred million. Uh, and so they're well on their way to to kind of raising capital um, by Q1 of next year. They should have the first what they call the uh, customer qualification plant where they kind of prove that they can make these batteries. And so by kind of the end of, of the first half of, of next year, uh, they should have, you know, a bunch of customer announcements uh, already out. They've had some already. They should have a lot of capital raised, at least to kind of fund their kind of first phase of build out of of the Norwegian uh, Gigafactory. And the reason why it's an attractive stock is just that it, it's it's going after this massive opportunity. The enterprise value is still less than $2 billion. Um, and so it, it can massively compound if they are successful, if they are, yeah, if they are able to show that, that they can build the- space is so hot and batteries are the big problem to solve, so. Yeah. so if you you know are comfortable taking the risk that you know they're going to be able to execute um, build these things uh, and that they're going to raise sufficient capital um, it, it's a, you know it's a potential kind of you know not just a two or three x compounder but you know a potential 10x over the next five years so uh, that's why i like it yeah we're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners we'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the real vision daily briefing you're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. This is an interesting one. Um, Bombardier, the, the aerospace. How's that? How is that on your list? Yeah, it's, and not, and, it's probably and, the one that's... going up against. By the way, the two big ones, right? There's always the the, the battle between Airbus and and Boeing. Um, well, 
they they are um, they used to be this like massive conglomerate out of um, out of Quebec in Canada that did big jets, you know, medium sized jets, private jets. They built the subways that people go on in when they're in Manhattan. Um, so they were in they were in rail. They did the 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 skidoos and the sea doos that people you know see sometimes. Uh, you know, all these recreational products. And so uh, in 2018, 19, and up to 20, up to the pandemic, they decided we're going to get out of all those businesses. So they don't go up against uh, Boeing anymore. They don't go, mm. go up against Ember Air in terms of, of, of supplying the bigger jets. And they got out of the rail business. They got out of the recreational, you know, sports business. So they, they are a pure play private jet company. So they have some competitors, but the competitors that they have are, uh, like Gulfstream, uh, Textron, um, you know, the, uh, the, um, the French um, Dassault uh, jet makers. So they are now supplying kind of the, these private jets to the elites of, of the world who fly around and are flying around actually more today than they were pre-pandemic. Um, for a while there, that was, it was the only way to get around. And a lot more people who got used to flying business class on commercial jets just the, tried private and found out that they liked it and are, are doing it more. And so um, the thing that's special about Bombardier is that they they tend to focus on the the larger of the private jets, uh, kind of the, the ones that can fly further. So they, they got sort of out of the really small private jets uh, and and focus on, um, you know, a bigger a bigger jet that could fly nonstop from you know, Phoenix to Singapore type of thing. Uh, and those cost more. And so when you put in the effort to actually build these things and you you build, you know, hundreds of them, uh, you get certain operational efficiencies and a, a bigger price uh, tag attached to them. Uh, and so they have been getting better and better um, and we're able to kind of get through the pandemic uh, just fine. Uh, and in fact, have gotten a little boost um, with extra orders. I think what was um, hanging over the stock in 2020 was they the eggs once they got out of all these diversified businesses they still had a ton of debt that they were carrying and so there was concern that are they going to be able to keep up with the payments and so forth but their their cash flow has been steadily increasing over the last couple of years they've been able to pay down a bunch of debt already uh, and push out you know some of the nearer term debt a few years away so if I think of a comparison, it's kind of like the casinos coming out of the uh, 2008 financial crisis when, you know, people kind of left the equity for dead. They saw all this debt. They saw kind of very little kind of equity value left in those casinos and the concerns that they were going to default on the debt. And then gradually over, you know, a multi-month period after that, when things settled down, they realized, hey, these folks are, are paying down their debt. They're pushing it off. Uh, they're, you know, repricing their debt that they have that was higher interest rate. So Bombardier is doing all of those things. And as a result, the stock has, I think it's almost tripled since uh, June of this year. Wow. So, uh, and it's still, you know, it's mm -hmm. still, again, relatively, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a stock that the, the enterprise value is something like, uh, um, you know, a couple billion. So um, it's uh, the market cap at least. And so 
as they continue to pay down debt in the, in the next year or two, um, the value associated in the enterprise value is going to shift from, from the debt to the equity. And so that's the opportunity still uh, with a name like that. So it's, it's a very, very idiosyncratic story. Mm. Um, they make good jets. Um, they have a bit of a lead on their competitors in terms of they're able to beat their chest and say, you know, we've got the, the biggest and the one that goes the furthest and all this, you know, the ones that, the, you know, whatever the, the, the celebrities of the world want to sign up for and pay 75 million for, um, yeah. well, that's they, an advantage with people are not buying these things every day. So if you're a little ahead of the competition, <laughs> no, I know I, I no, want to ask no, you no. about another one, um, which really jumped out at me and that's Shopify. I mean, this is interesting because year to date, it's down what some 70 something percent. And, you know, a lot of people really saw this as a pandemic play and one of these, you know, I think it got grouped in there. Why do you like it? Um, I, I like it because it's still, um, uh, it's, it's sort of like the anti-Amazon in that they're the arms dealer to all the, you know, not just mom and pop shops, but anybody who wants to have an e-commerce presence and sell online, um, you know, they have to kind of uh, align themselves with, with Shopify to, to do that. And so that's a that's a segment of the market which you know is, is only going to increase, um, and their stock has been beaten down a lot. Uh, and yet, uh, I think they're just they're either at the 200-day moving average or just slightly above it. So all the names that I like are 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 you know uh, above their 200-day moving average. And so and then and the reason why is like they've been punished so much this year. Uh, that they, you know, the the 200-day now has sort of caught up to to where they are. So, I think uh, enough pain has been inflicted from a from a valuation perspective. I forget where they're. A lot of these tech names are, you know, I think Shopify is back to like a 2018 level in terms of, of price, and yet it's a much bigger company today. Um, they've recently done some job cuts to kind of rationalize that and be a little bit more focused and and profitable moving forward. So. I think they're they've got through the pain of this year. I like them into into next year, and and I see them you know continuing to surprise uh, to the upside with uh, with revenue strong revenue growth and and you know show that they have a, a lid on costs. Farfetch is another one on your on your list. FTCH, uh, kind of in the retail space, a different story, but that stock is is. A pretty cheap stock, I think around five dollars, right? And it looked like it was down seven percent on the day, so it looks like a little bit of an uphill climb. What do you like here? They had a capital markets day at the beginning of this month, uh, so not that you know, a week ago, basically, and uh, I think they <laughs> were down something like thirty-eight percent on that the day of that capital markets day, and they did, they just did a horrible job, I think, of of communicating uh, their longer term story. They gave kind of this very kind of uh, cautious 2025 guidance in terms of uh, their EBITDA and their GMV, and it left people feeling cold about it. They've always struggled to make money, and obviously this year, um, you know, being negative, you know, burning cash has, hasn't been good. Whether you're a SaaS company or you know this high-end, you know, luxury marketplace company. So they, you know, the stock's now beaten down. It's a, at an all-time low, way below where it was uh, in the March 2020 uh, lows, and so it's, it's just, I just think it's overdone. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, they're sort of the place to go if you, if you want to buy luxury handbags online um, or whatever, you know, bracelets and 
Uh, they're getting into like makeup and other stuff, uh, but you know, it's predominantly clothing. Uh, all the big brands are there. Um, they have partnerships like with, with virtually everyone around the world. And um, they kind of get treated like a Chinese stock uh, in, in that when you know, the Chinese internet names are down, they tend to be down because they do so much business over there. Mm-hmm. And yet they've got none of the, the bounce back uh, this, this past month. Uh, the way that the Chinese internet names have. So I just think fundamentally they were overly conservative in their kind of long-term guidance. Stock's been beaten down now, but I think it's it's so cheap that I, you know it's it's one of them where you just hold your nose and, and buy it. Yeah, um, we're out of time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uber and Enphase ENPH are also on your list, but we're gonna have to talk about those next time. But it's it's great to sort of get some thoughts on individual stocks um, because I think people are kind of looking in this environment where we we're hearing from everyone that you know passive is um, going to be a lot more challenging, and you need to be a lot more active in how you're thinking about your portfolio and where you're looking for opportunities. So we appreciate uh, that kind of micro look at some of those names, Eric. Okay. Well, thanks for having me, Meg. Yeah, fun. thanks. We'll, we'll, we'll catch up with you again in a little bit and see how some of these names are performing and get your thoughts on where we are with tech once we get into 2023. And thanks to all of you for watching and the questions. Hope you gave you some food for thought. Andres is going to be back tomorrow with Jason DeSena, so be sure to check that out. Until then, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.